This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 140, submission number 230, Ace Crawford, Private Eye. Ace Crawford, Private Eye, aired on CBS from March 15th to April 12th of 1983 for a total of five episodes. It was a case of spring fever. Okay, it was a, it was either a case of spring fever or Ace Crawford Private Eye. We ended up doing a case of spring fever. I mean, the, the poll was close, except it wasn't really. But we ended up doing a case of spring fever. But in sort of researching what this show was all about, we was like, you know what? We'll do this show later on down the line. So here we are later on down the line, and now we're going to talk about a hard-nosed detective series, or at least what could easily have passed one in the 80s. That has Tim Conway. That has Tim Conway, and a whole lot of physical humor. And Billy Barty. And Billy Barty. Sadly, not with another little person and a magician. Sadly, there was there, interesting. You know what? They could have done a case with a magician, and that probably would have resonated with the audience. As it is, you know what? Some lessons are so important that we put them out there at the beginning of the episode. This is one of them. This show does not last long, and parts of it do not age well. Well, it's from 1982-83. What do you expect? True. Like we said, Heart Nose Detective, played by Tim Conway, who I guess would be fresh off of his stint with Carol Burnett and looking for his next big thing. So that would be this, in which Tim Conway teamed up with Ron Clark, who, if I'm not mistaken, 
wrote High Anxiety, Silent Movie, and Life Stinks with Mel Brooks. So, he is a known comedy writer. So he gets together with Tim Conway, and they dream up this fever dream of Hollywood cinema transformed into the 80s. Imagine what would happen if Mike Hammer and Police Squad had a kid. That's pretty much what this show is. That's a pretty accurate comparison. Yeah, and it seems like every episode of this show just goes like... You ever heard of the every plot, where every show has like the similar plot structure? We have the case of the day... Then we have Ace walking from the wharf to the shanty, stopping for some either physical humor or to uh, have it aside with some sort of miscreant hanging outside of shanty. And then you go into shanty, you talk to uh, talk to the barkeep, talk to the pianist, try and dodge the singer who has the hots for you, step into your office to take a case. You handle the case, and then at the end, you have the uh, police lieutenant that appears out of nowhere, wondering how you handled the case. And when it's all said and done, you walk back out of the shanty, and you walk back onto the wharf, and you fall off the bridge. That happens every show, in that order. No wonder this lasted five episodes yeah. So, like we said, Tim Conway plays Ace Crawford, your hard-nosed, rough-em-up style detective. And Tim Conway is kind of, sort of, accidentally perfect for the role. Because think about it. A detective like this gets into a bunch of physical scrapes, just, you know, just goes pop, pop, doesn't care about the law, just cares about the job. Tim Conway is known for two things, deadpan snark and physical humor, both of which are on display for the majority of every episode. I've watched all five episodes, and it was like, okay, so I guess it would be Tim Conway and some other guys. Some of them may or may not figure into the plot. Let's talk about who played with Tim Conway as Ace Crawford. Interestingly enough, the only time Ace Crawford ever used the gun was in the opening credits. What a rip. He doesn't even use his gun. He doesn't even use his gun. I think he gave it away to uh, some guy. He gave it away to some guy in the opening credits. Oh, well, that's... Why would you give away a gun to some random guy? You don't even know if he's trained to use a gun. Especially nowadays. You don't know what these... Yeah, what did you see what Tim Conway did with the gun in the opening sequence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he did a Plaxico Bur- Burris on himself, and then the, the gun somehow hit uh, his hat. Or the bullet, I should say, not the gun. But still, w- would you trust Tim Conway with a gun? I think maybe he made the right decision by getting rid of it. Maybe you don't give it to a random stranger. Maybe you throw it down in the, in the sewer. Maybe you pawned it or something, but I wouldn't trust Tim Conway with a gun. Mm, true. 
Okay, so Tim Conway, Ace Crawford, detective, hard nosed, very physical, very gruff, very deadpan, very much Tim Conway. His partner in crime fighting is a certified public accountant named Toomey, who is played by Joe Regalbudo, who functions as the uh, narrator of this show. And we mentioned Joe Regalbudo not that long ago because he played a judge on an episode of Oh Madeline, but also, as uh, previously mentioned, he was Frank Fontana on Murphy Brown. Come on. If you don't know who Frank Fontana on Murphy Brown is, what podcast are you even listening to? Yeah, get out of here. I love when you use topical humor. It's just like watching Murphy Brown. Hey, Murphy. Blah, 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 Johnson Unu. Murphy. Blah, 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 Tipper Gore. Hey, Murph, you can't blah, 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 the Ayatollah. Blah, 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 Bishop Desmond Tutu. Blah, blah. And the thing about Toomey is, he reveres this guy. He thinks Ace Crawford is the bomb.com. Why? Because he thinks he is a he has mistaken his dumb luck and brute force for sheer genius. I think everybody does actually. And the thing about it is he's allowed to get a word in edgewise while he's working with uh while he's working with Ace. It's like you only hear him go into any sort of expository nature three times or three general times when he's narrating the episode, when he's explaining to Ace why he can't work with him on a particular episode, and in the epilogue when he's trying to explain how Ace was able to solve the crime, albeit accidentally. But yeah, he just thinks that Ace Crawford is this big genius when, in actuality, he's kind of lucky and kind of lucky and kind of a nut. It's like, okay, he. And I guess when you're a CPA, you need some sort of excitement in your life. And I guess that's why he works with Ace so much. Because he thinks that of the uh, hard-nosed detective life as this some sort of excitement, adventure. Well, anything's better than a CPA. Not just a CPA, a married CPA... With a daughter, both of whom are wondering why he's going out at all hours of the night to help out this lunatic. He's not wrong. That's why I got out of uh, being an accounting major and got into education, because the CPA life does not sound terribly exciting. It is not. Yeah, I don't want to be stuck in a cubicle for the next, well, at this point, 20 to 25 years of my life. I'd rather be dealing with the kids. Yep. You're doing the Lord's work, Mike. Yeah, I try. Okay. Then we have the barkeep, who is played by Billy Barty. His name is... Are you ready for this? Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. Uh, no. What I is knew it? this time was going to come, but no. What is it? His name is Inch. <laughs> Get it? Because Billy Marty is short. Yeah. 
of course, we remember Billy Barty as one of the short people in that one episode of Super Train. Yes, with that other little person and a magician replacing a presidential candidate with a double so real that even Loretta Swit couldn't tell. Hot Lips, what were you thinking? And then you have Mello, the blind jazz musician at the Shanty, played by Bill Henderson. And he sort of plays up that whole stereotype about, okay, he's blind, but he's able to do all the things that a sighted person could do because his other senses are so much more acute. So he's like Daredevil. Yeah, only he's stuck playing musician on the piano. And fun fact, Bill Henderson is actually a jazz musician. And you could tell that when he uh, they uh, showed him playing the piano. Because there was a, a gag in, uh, I think it was the second episode, where Ace Crawford was like leaning on the piano uh, while uh, Bill Henderson was playing it. And the piano moves. And you can actually see the uh, or hear the the music go down in scale, go down a couple of octaves. And then Tim Conway pulls the piano back and it goes back to normal. Yep. And he's released a whole lot of material in his life. And one thing I don't know if anybody else remembers him for this, but I remember him as one of the Venice Beach Boys on White Men Can't Jump. One of the best movies of the 90s, if you ask me. Has everything. Basketball, Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, Bill Henderson, Alex Trebek, Rosie Perez. Oh, and Rosie Perez doing awesome in Jeopardy. What is a quince? Watch that stuff. Then you have the sultry, sexy, honey-voiced singer of The Shanty, played by Shira Denise, named Luana. And the thing about, because this is a detective story, and every detective has to have a a woman who lusts after the detective, even though he is married to the job, first and foremost. This would be her. An interesting thing, you know who Shira Denise was married to? Oh, yes, yes, I saw this while doing research before the show began. This was a surprise to me. Who is it? And one more thing. Oh, Peter Falk. Yep. Oh, my God. During the 70s and 80s, she was a very much a that woman from that thing. She played on One Day at a Time, Serpico, Beretta, Three's Company, Kojak, Family, Heart to Heart, Starsky and Hutch, Charlie's Angels. And And obviously we should add Columbo. And obviously we should have Columbo, where she played in Bait to Murder from 1976, Murder Under Glass in 1978, Murder, A Self-Portrait in 1989, Columbo and the Murder of a Rock Star in 1991, Undercover in 1994, and A Trace of Murder in 1997. So... So she was that person on that Peter Falk series... (laughs) I'm sorry. But interestingly enough, did not meet Peter Falk on the set of a Columbo. She met him on the set of Mikey and Nikki. And she was Falk's conservator upon his death. 
and according to his daughter Catherine, stopped some of the family members from visiting him, did not notify them of major changes in his condition, and did not notify them of his death and funeral arrangements, which later resulted in the passage of Peter Falk's law that provides guidelines that guardians and conservators for an incapacitated person must comply with regarding visitation rights and notice of death. Such laws have been passed in over 10 states as of 2016. That's kind of disappointing. Yeah. And there's one person who was not credited in the opening credits, but did appear in every episode. And that would be Police Lieutenant Banning, who has been working on every case that... Ace has been working on for months, if not years, and Ace manages to solve it in a single half-hour setting. And you know who played this guy? Are you ready for this? Oh, I know who played him, but yeah. Oh, oh if Greg doesn't know, he's going to flip. Oh, what is it? Dick Christie. What? You heard the man... Dick Christie. Yeah, Dick Christie. Ted Lawson. Ted Lawson on Small Wonder. Yeah, the the dad on Small Wonder. That's all you need to know. Oh, the dad on Small Wonder. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. And his sole function on every episode is to look Ace in the eye and say, how did you do it? And, of course, what would happen after every episode would be, Toomey would explain, or at least begin to explain, how... Ace managed to solve every crime, to which Ace would interrupt and say something like, Toomey, do you mind? We're talking here. And then Toomey would just say, oh, sorry, Ace. And those are all of the people on this show. Or at least all of the regulars, let's say. Yeah, all of the regulars. And of course, it was filmed on a studio with a laugh track and... I guess it was a pre-recorded laugh track because it doesn't seem like anybody stops for anything. No, it it was very obviously a bad laugh track. Which Mm -hmm. is the same because I thought the laugh track ruined it. I thought if it was just a a plain comedy with no uh, laugh track or even no audience, uh, not unlike Police Squad, I thought it would have been a much better series. Yeah. Of course, Police Squad had more sort of sight gags, whereas this show had a lot more physical humor. Yes, that's very true. Let's go over these episodes, shall we? Oh, we're not going to take too long this week with five. Yep, there are only five episodes, but uh, I'm going to try and remember them as best I can because, I again, I've seen all these episodes. They are available on Pluto TV On Demand. And you can get through all five in one sitting. And it's on uh, Prime Video, I believe, too. Yep. This is on Prime Video, but Mr. Smith is not streaming anywhere. Oh, no. not. Oh, no. Okay, let's just see if if Mr. Smith appears on Paramount Plus. And, you know, maybe Mr. Smith will. I'm not holding my breath, but maybe there's your uh, end-all solution. Yeah. Okay, so our first episode is Murder at Restful Hills. Ace investigates the claim of Luana's grandmother that deaths 
at a nursing home weren't the result of natural causes. So, what begins is an old person, a bunch of nurses are carrying an old person to a therapy room, and they are never heard from again. Uh-oh. Yeah, so... So, Ace walks into the shanty and notices that Luana is just not really feeling it tonight. She's just She's singing through her tears because she was worried about her grandmother. So Ace takes the case and calls in Toomey to see if Toomey can't get Ace, who isn't disguised as an old man, into Restful Hills. So he gets into Restful Hills. He investigates the therapy room and finds out that Luana's grandmother is actually due for some therapy. Some therapy. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. And what it is is basically a treadmill that does not stop. So it's not murder per se, but she's basically going to run herself to death. Unless Ace can do something about it, which he does. In his own imitable fashion. What does Ace have to do besides unplug it? Oh, that would be too easy for Ace Crawford. He basically has to shut it off, but at the same time protect Luann's grandmother. So he does that. And he does that by hopping on the treadmill. One thing you're going to have to understand about Ace Crawford is he will find a roundabout solution to a very simple problem. But that only feeds into the uh, fiscal humor of the show. Oh, well, that explains it. I'm going to add that there is one guest star uh, who actually, uh, I consider him a name, but he just played hospital patient. So he's gone from a character name to a generic title like hospital patient. That man is Don Bexley, and we've talked about him in the past because he is a key member of the Sanford verse. He played Bubba. Oh. Oh, Bubba. I want my daddy's records. Oh, now I remember him. Oh, oh, that's a classic, classic episode of Sanford and Son. What if Blind Mellow Jelly showed up and, and asked for his records back? Could he get them? But Blind Mellow Jelly is dead. But his son ain't. Sonny, I want my daddy's records. (laughs) Beg your pardon? I want my daddy's records. There is another known name on this episode, and that would be Arlen Dean Snyder, who is known for Dallas and future installment Trauma Center. Is that the Trauma Center from 1983 that Alfie Wise starred in when he appeared on Match Game Hollywood Squares. Yes. Yes. And it had Lou Ferrigno. It did have Lou Ferrigno. You're right about that. Mm -hmm. Fully bearded and everything. Oh, glorious. Lou Ferrigno with a beard. Our next episode, Bull Bates. Ace infiltrates a mobster's warehouse, but his hugging device overseen by Toomey went haywire 
while attached to his knees. So, this case involves Dee Dee, the girlfriend of gangster Bull Bates, who spends her time mud wrestling. Woo! And it's up to Ace to try and get Dee Dee out of that relationship and get Bull Bates into a jail cell before he rubs anybody else out. How does he do that? Well, the first thing he does is go watch them mud wrestle with Toomey. And while Toomey's casing the joint, Ace is working on Dee Dee, and while Dee Dee can't help but be attracted to Ace, and she gets mud everywhere, basically. So she goes and takes a shower while the mob closes in. And hijinks ensues. Bull Bates is trapped in his own hugging machine. And Ace saves the day, albeit accidentally. Do you know who plays Dee Dee? I do not. No. Leslie Easterbrook. From Police Academy? From Police Academy. Oh, that's terrific. Oh, but yes. So, Uh, yeah. Yeah, and actually, um, another name that I recognize, and this person only passed away within the last, I think, three years or so, playing a slob in this episode, that's actually the title he's given in IMDb, is Mickey Jones, and I think this is going to be our first reference ever to somebody starring on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't think it was our first reference, because remember, we did The Cool Kids. Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, very, very true, but it's been a long time since we've made an It's Always Sunny reference. He actually played Gunther, a, a gun dealer, in the episode, and this just reran within the last couple of days on uh, Vice, Gun Fever 2 Still Hot. <laughs> gun Fever 2. Gun Fever 2. Uh, okay, you, you both know about it, but yeah, he, he played the, the, the gun shop dealer, uh, that wouldn't sell uh, the gun to Dennis or D and came back with the negative background check. That was him. But also, in addition to that, where else do I recognize him from? You're not going to believe this, uh, more or less for the name than anything else. Well, first off, he played Pete Bilker on Home Improvement. And if you saw his face, you know exactly who he is. But also, he played in the season 10 episode of Married with Children, second to last season, Titled Spring Break, a two-part episode, he played Parley Wayne Rockefeller. Oh. Uh, he, he was the auto mechanic, uh, the owner of the auto shop, where Bud and his friend's uh, car broke down. And let's just say it, it was sort of in the deep south because they are going to spring break and the boys didn't have enough cash, Bud and his friends. So let's just say sexual favors were exchanged with one of Bud's friends who was left behind. Of course. Oh. Um, look, uh... Mr. Wayne. No, no. Parley Wayne is my first name. <laughs> Last name is Rockefeller. <laughs> Had to drop it, though. I uh, couldn't spell it. Look, there's, there's got to be a way out of here. I mean, a car, bicycle, horse you're not dating at the moment. <laughs> you know, I do have a truck for rent. How much do you want? A thousand dollars. And uh, leave the fat boy here. 
change. Yeah, we don't have a thousand dollars. And I have, haven't seen the episode, so I don't know what exactly the slob did, but he was a slob, apparently. An unnamed slob. Episode three. Inch in a pinch. Ace sets a trap for a merciless mobster when his bartender friend Inch is beaten up by thugs. Yep, apparently Inch is paying for protection. And why wouldn't he? Because, well, look at him. When, and, and also the mob was trying to shake him down because I think his rent uh, for uh, shanties, that was like $350 a month. And then the, the mob upped it to $1,000. And then they, until they ultimately upped it up to $2,000. Oh, no, $3,000. They really upped it. They, they're going for a big shakedown. Big shakedown. Big shakedown energy. So what does Ace do? He decides to take matters into his own hands and try and find out who is shaking inch down and basically rough him up it's interesting though or at least funny in this episode after uh inch gets manhandled by the mob he's uh, all bruised and whatnot ace goes up to his apartment which is right above shanties he, he's he's got the the top floor there and <laughs> everything in inch's apartment is small uh, small enough like a chair where it gets stuck to Ace's backside and he's trying to get it off and he's panicking and he's knocking over everything in the house. He broke the TV, he broke the lamp. Uh, and then also we, we should mention that the ceilings in Inch's house are also like proportionally small. So Tim Conway is a eh, probably at least an average height actor, maybe even a little taller than average as he's going through the house, his head hits the ceiling. Whoops. So, so, so he, yeah, so apparently Inch's house only has maybe five-foot ceilings or five or six-foot ceilings. Just, Not guess, that much clearance. Not that much clearance. Well, plenty of clearance for Inch. But the thing is, there's your sight gags with Tim Conway you know, hitting his head on this low ceiling and then Tim Conway getting stuck in the chair and trying to get it off and basically destroying Inch's apartment in the meantime. And there's not really much in the way of known entities on this particular episode. There's just, yeah, there's just Ace looking for revenge for Inch. So we move to episode four, The Microchip Caper. Ace is hired to test plant security for a computer company and finds himself in the center of a multi-million dollar con. So, our hero is hired by the Mall of the Week. Yes, I'm, I'm calling it the Mall of the Week. Who is played by Christine Belford. Was, was Christine Belford in anything we know? Uh, oh! She played Steve Sanders' mama on Beverly Hills 90210. That's where I recognize her from. That's for you, Scott. So she played the mall of the week, Alexandra Rivers, who comes to Ace as an insurance agent who is looking to insure a microchip developer 
who is about to develop the next great multi-million dollar microchip. Only she's not really an insurance agent. Oh? She's a con artist. Oh, no. She wants Ace to steal the microchip. And again, not just steal, but try and get past the security system, which is pretty lethal. I mean, they tested it out on a willing volunteer at at the cold open and basically said... It's a good thing that we didn't have actual bullets in that. So, presumably, this one's loaded with actual bullets. So Ace and Toomey go through the ducts and do a whole Mission Impossible thing, trying to steal the microchip to test the security system. But the real plan is... He's going to steal the microchip, and then he's going to get blasted by the security. And then Alexandra Rivers and her partner, I believe his name was Helmut Kasdan or something, played by John Van Drelen, they're going to make a mint selling it on the black market and leave Ace Crawford for dead, and basically frame him for the robbery. But Ace is armed with one of Toomey's sort of inventions, an electromagnet. And it turns out to be an incredibly powerful electromagnet. And apparently might very well be made out of Toomey's car, because that's another gag in this series, is that Ace's car is from Romania, and it's hard to get parts in America. So he's borrowing Toomey's car. A Romanian car? Oh, come on. Yeah. Well, it is five years before the Yugo, so or or even four years, or even three years, because this is eighty three and the Yugo's eighty six, I believe. Yeah. yeah, and because a computer microchip is involved in this episode, I'm assuming that this show takes place as it is airing in 1983. Yeah. Although now, Mike brought up the Yugo. I can't help but think about when the Yugo was featured as a prize on Classic Concentration in the bonus game. Ooh, yeah, you wanted that. You know you want that, Yugo. Oh, yeah. I love... <laughs> remember when that... Mike, remember when that contestant won the Yugo, and then she won another car, and, Mike, and Alex said, you have something against the Yugo? <laughs> what don't we have against the Yugo? I've ridden in a Yugo. It's not fun. I couldn't imagine it would be. Hey, I'm going to add one more thing about Christine Belford that uh, we skipped over. What's that? There, there's one credit I think she's better known for that we sort of skipped over, even though she only played uh, this character on apparently seven episodes. It appears that she played Edward Stratton III's ex-wife on Silver Spoons. She played Evelyn Stratton. And then Evelyn Stratton Whiting, so apparently she may have gotten remarried. So she, so she was the one who was responsible for Ricky being at a military school. Yes, she was. Hmm. So if you don't remember her from 90210, you may remember her from that. And she was also Maggie Randall on all 12 episodes of Outlaws, which, contrary to this show, is an actual time-traveling show. You mean like Voyager's? No, not that kind of time traveling show. It's a well, we'll explain it when we get around to 
talking about Outlaws if it's on the list. And then there's the last one. The Gentleman Bandit. Which basically takes the formula of every episode heretofore seen and turns it on his head. Because Ace's partner, Toomey, is sick. As in, he's got the cold. But he still needs a partner. And Luann, who is, let's remember, Luann is hot for Ace, is all but ready to throw herself at his mercy. Ace begrudgingly accepts the proposition. And that's important because this episode has Ace go undercover to foil a criminal targeting a magazine's female employees. So... We need a statuesque female employee. Hey, look! It's Luana. So she poses as a female employee waiting for a gentleman bandit who apparently lost his job to two things. One, a computer, and two, a strong-willed, career-minded woman. So here he is, taking revenge out on his former employer, by kidnapping and bonding and robbing the female employees that stay late. One of them happens to be Luana when she is installed as one of the secretaries for this magazine. And of course, Ace being Ace is too busy, caught up in his own little world to even notice it. So... What does Ace do rather than getting another woman? He dresses in drag. Really, really awful drag. And using Tubi's wife's dress. Oh, no. That's just one of the things that didn't age well. Another thing, I I can't believe I forgot to uh, mention this in the last episode. In order to get information about the microchip... Ace Crawford dresses as a Japanese businessman. Oh, that didn't age well either. Oh. No. And Toomey acts as his interpreter. Did anyone learn from Ray Walston in the Fallen show? Yeah. Oh, wait. It gets worse. He affects Japanese gibberish. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But back to the gentleman bandit. So Ace goes undercover in Toomey's wife's dress and a really bad drag job. And what happens is, (laughs) let's just say it all ends up with uh, Ace and the bandits in a fight out on the street, and there are two types of people watching them. One is the police, with Lieutenant Banning in tow, and the other is a gaggle of um, women of the night shall we say. Women of the Night. And Oh, an interesting name that pops up on this episode, playing Maureen, is 
Are you ready for this? Who? Marion Mercer. Who's Marion Mercer? She played Nancy Beebe on It's a Living. Oh, okay. And she, and was... she also played Wanda Jeter on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and the spinoff series Forever Fernwood, which is on the list. Okay. Mm-hmm. But also there's another name. Playing the Gentleman Bandit is Basil Hoffman. And you know, speaking of future entries, where he comes into play is he played Principal Dingleman on Square Pegs. Oh! Yeah. Ooh. We'll get to that eventually. And you know, he is still a perennial, that guy from that thing. Really? Yeah, he's been on Seinfeld, Cousin Skeeter. Cousin Skeeter? The Practice. The Practice. West, oh. The West Wing. Oh, of course, The West Wing. And he's been on things that have been announced for 2022, like uh, Action Words, whatever that is. And oh. Deep, and Deeply Superficial. Deep, well, I'm sure those are going to be quality. I'm, I'm trying to look for the last known entity that he was in, and that would actually be for the people, which didn't last that long. But yeah, his, his resume is a mile long. He was that guy from that show. Still is that guy from that show. Still is, yeah, d- uh, depending on what happens with this uh, deeply superficial pilot. And interestingly enough, he would be reunited with Dick Christie as Mr. Beck on the Thanksgiving Story episode of Small Wonder. Oh. And also reunited with uh, Marion Mercer on the Jewel Heist episode of It's a Living. He said he was a perennial that guy from that thing. There he is. So, those were all five episodes. Now we have to ask the question, aside, what went wrong besides, duh? Well, what went wrong, at least in my opinion, is, I, I mentioned it earlier, the laugh track. I, I know it's just such a small piece of this, but it didn't give it really a sense of authenticity. You could tell it was canned laughter. Yeah, this was the day before single camera sitcoms had no yeah. laugh track. I mean, the, the recent Punky Brewster reboot does it, but I mean, in the case of the Punky Brewster reboot, it's a reboot of a show from the 80s that had a laugh track. So you can kind of give it a pass. Kind of, sort of have to. Especially when you have the kids basically look at Punky and Aunt Cherry and say... My God, what were the 80s like? By the way, one of the kids will be on a future entry that we do on this show. What? The eldest daughter, the the only, oh, sorry, the only daughter is played uh, the daughter on No Good Nick. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, what, what entry would we have that she'd be on it? So there's something to look forward to. I've only seen the first episode, but I'm like... <laughs> I can see where Punky's never changed, but I can also see where Punky changed a lot. Yeah, although I, I am very happy with that George Gaines picture of Henry. I am also happy. That is a great, that is a nice touch. Yes. And you know what also is a nice, uh, that is, 
did anybody notice that the camera she uses was similar to the first camera that Henry gave her? Yes! That camera still works after nearly 40 years. Yep, 40 years plus the time when Henry got the camera. Well, that is true. Because remember, it's the first camera I ever used. It looks like the first camera anyone ever used. This is how bad it's gotten. We'd rather talk about Punky Brewster than this. Yeah. Well, I'm going to chime in with what else went wrong. I can, I can tell you. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because I think I know what you're about to say. Do you know what was on ABC and NBC at that time? Yes. <laughs> what was on What was on ABC and NBC? On okay. ABC, you had Happy Days and Mike on NBC. Well, I was going to say, with Happy Days, you got to remember, this would have been the second to last season of Happy Days. Yeah. So it was yeah, but, at this point. Yeah, but it was still, it was still pulling in big numbers. It's still oh, no. Happy Days. Oh, yeah, it's still Happy Days. It's still pulling in decent numbers, but it's still, I don't want to say long in the tooth. It's been on for a good nine seasons at this point. But here's the one that's going to kill it on NBC. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, because that would have just premiered. Yeah, that, that would have premiered right around the same time. Yeah, the A-Team, uh, in case you didn't recognize my bad rendition of the theme. That's a good yeah, theme. That, that was the first half hour of the A-Team. Yep. If you're going to aim for the king, you best not miss, am I right? Yeah. And actually, I'm also going to give another reason why uh, it didn't last long. The ratings, it started out okay. I'm looking here, and it was... In the low 30s, it was right behind shows including Alice and The Love Boat and Cheers and Square Pegs, oddly enough, since we just mentioned it. So it was kind of up there. It wasn't necessarily in the bottom um, uh, of the pack to start. But then shortly thereafter, we go from 39 down to 48, where it's with Give Me a Break and Quincy, which, again, would have been on its last legs. I think it was canceled by 84 or 83 at the latest. And Amanda's, another name that we're going to talk about in the future. Archie Bunker's Place, uh, again, uh, another show that was ending that season. But then uh, after a couple of weeks, as, and I believe this is when it uh, actually was in reruns, it tumbled into the 60s and even into the 70s. Oh. Yeah, it ended... It's run 74 for the season. Yeah, I'm looking at one of the last weeks, and it's ranked 75th for the week. And and there are some names that are in that 70 range. One show that I'm seeing, which we all know, and actually it's 75 out of 80. Let's just say that right now. 75th out of 80. 71st was Fame. 73rd was Taxi. 74th was Cheers. And then actually number 80 is a, a previous entry of ours, Love, Sydney. Wow. So, yeah, it went, it, it was in the middle of the pack. And by the end of the run, it was darn near uh, the bottom. Yeah. Well, like I said before, this is available on Prime Video. And you can stream it for free on demand on Pluto TV on demand. Of course, it shows up on uh, 
classic TV rewinds or one of those channels. But let's just say you haven't gotten rid of your VHS yet. Oh, no. I know where this is going. Mike, I think you know where the button is. Yeah, I'll I'll put it in. Actually, before we do that, I just wanted to mention one other thing about the episodes. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think we determined there was a numbering issue. Like, episode- oh yeah, there's a numbering issue on Pluto. I don't know if it's yeah. anywhere else, but there's a numbering issue on Pluto where if you're gonna watch the show, well, you can watch the shows in any order, really. But if you watch it on Pluto from one to five, you're gonna end up watching episode two first. And then you're going to ep- watch episode three. And then you're going to watch episode one. And, and, and I'm just going to add, this is not just limited to Pluto TV. Somebody, uh, I believe, actually recorded the episodes on a device through Pluto TV and uploaded them to YouTube. So I thought I was watching episode two. And I was wondering why Chico's description was totally off from what I thought was episode two. Nope, it was episode three. Yeah. So be careful depending where you go because you may be thinking you're watching one episode when in actuality you may be watching a totally different episode. Right. I was waiting for Bull Bass to show up in episode two. Nope. He was on episode one. Yeah, and I was watching uh, the Bull Bates episode and that happened to be inch and a pinch. But enough about our little caveat with that. I'll play the damn theme. Play the damn theme. Okay, so we have a VHS pre-owned copy of Ace Crawford Private Eye. Again, pre-owned with three episodes. Murder in Restful Hills, Bull Bates, and Inch and a Pinch. Is this a pre-recorded tape or someone actually... This is a pre-recorded tape. Yeah, this is actually... A mass-produced pre-recorded tape. Yeah, it was actually for sale. Uh, Yeah. Who made this tape? Uh, that would be, if I could get the label up, Forum Home Video. I don't know what that is. It's one of those uh, home video clearinghouses that will take the license to anything. But yeah, it's uh, it has three episodes, Murder in Restful Hills, Bull Baits, and Inch and a Pinch. Here's the descriptor. Fabulous funny man Tim Conway stars in three terrific episodes of Ace Crawford Private Eye, a sort of dwarf's detective agency. Like a confused Columbo, Ace Crawford stumbles past clues and bubbles by bad guys. But somehow or other, with dumb luck and the help of his cockeyed collection of cronies, Ace Crawford always gets his man. In the first Ace Crawford private eye adventure, Ace disguises himself as a dotting old man and goes undercover at a nursing home to catch the creeps who are taking advantage of the old folks. Then, Ace meets up with a mud-wrestling queen and must contend with her boyfriend, a notorious gangster. And when Ace finds out a merciless mobster is running a crooked linen service, he sets a trap to clean up the dirty laundry. This has a 1989 copyright date, and yes, I guess this was released around the time of Dwarf on Golf. Oh, Dwarf on Golf. Classic. Yeah, yeah, way to way to capitalize on the Tim, of the Tim Conway sort of mystique there. 
All right, Mike, you're first. Okay, this is tough. Obviously, the show didn't last that long, but really, how many of these have to be out there? Well, they did say it was rare. Well, it's it's obviously... It's rare and out of print. Yeah, it's definitely out of print because we're not doing VHS anymore. Oh, gosh. I'm going to say... Thirty nine ninety nine. All right, Greg. One dollar. <laughs> okay. That rare then. Oh yeah. How rare can it be if it's on Amazon? Anyway, this was actually bought. Okay, so it was. Judging by the picture that's on the on the uh, eBay. It was bought at Walmart for like $7. The actual buy it now price. Oh, God, I can't believe this. $49.99. Ah, it's bullsh. It has not sold yet, so if you. I wonder why. (laughs) Who knows? But, okay. All right. Screw this. I'm gonna go back to watching Sex Sent Me to the ER and Discovery <laughs> Life. <laughs> okay. Well, what can I say except Ace Crawford? It had Tim Conway and a select few people willing to put up with Tim Conway's antics. But ultimately, it was just a thing on TV. Moral of the story. You're never going to get anywhere without Carol Burnett. Unless your name is Vicki Lawrence. Yeah. Or Lyle Wagner. Of course, Lyle Wagner. All right. We're going to go watch Sex Sent Me to the ER. You can hit up our website at itwasathingontv.com where you'll find all of our past episodes, all of our mini-sodes, our live shows, links to our social media feeds, and, of course, a link to our good friends at the place to be nation where uh, Greg and I are actually working on something besides the weekly drop. Yeah. Cause if you, this will probably be out by the time this whole thing comes out. If it's not out when we release this episode, it'll be out by Thursday. We did the pilot episode for into the Spidey movie verse. So if you want to listen to us talk about all the stuff that happened before the 2002 movie got produced. We talked a little bit about the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man. We talked a little bit about Japanese Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And also the absurdity of canon films with their rights, with their rights and their options to the Spider-Man franchise, where they were so confident they were going to produce a Spider-Man movie. They made a trailer with Don LaFontaine before the before they even shot footage, which never happened. Oh, yep. and I didn't get to the part with James Cameron scriptman for Spider-Man in, from 1991, which had Spider-Man as a peeping Tom. Wait, what? We talked about this, remember? I know, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, no, I, I remember. Yeah, Spider Man sneaking on Mary Jane, and then they have sex on the Brooklyn Bridge. It's a love story. Yeah, how did no one not notice that Spider Man was having sex on the Brooklyn Bridge? 
Maybe that'll be it. Maybe that would have that would have been one hell of an episode of sex that means in the ER. <laughs> Dang it, I knew you were gonna say that. No. Yes. Could you imagine the, the reenactment of Spider-Man having sex with Mary Jane on the Brooklyn Bridge? They would be wearing the Spider-Man proto suit. You know, the the, the sort of sweater thing that Peter wears while wrestling. Oh, yeah. In the first Spider-Man movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's coming up down the line. Also coming up down the line, Mike, your day in the sun has come. I'm playing my money in the bank. Yeah. He's playing his money in the bank card. He's, he's playing his money in the bank like the star of the movie Money Plane with Kelsey Grammer. Oh, no. <sighs> yep. Okay, I have to follow that up. All right. Uh, as we mentioned at the end of uh, the last episode, uh, I am cashing in my money in the bank. And we're going to be talking about a show that I love, and actually a, a, an entire franchise that goes beyond TV that I love. You don't know Jack. Yeah. I like the computer game franchise, but I got to be honest, Mike. 20 years ago, I did not like this show. And we'll see if 20 years has changed my opinion for the better. It still holds a place near and dear to my heart. It's a little too absurd for uh, regular television viewing, but we'll get to that when we cover that episode. Well, until we come back with that episode, remember, as always, to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, don't forget to smack our bell in order to be updated on future entries. So, we will see you Thursday with another thing on TV. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Wow! Well, I stayed at Inch's place showing slides half the night. I got home real late. Boy, was the wife angry. You should have heard her curse out Ace Crawford. Can you imagine feeling that way about the world's smartest detective? I can't. I don't know what to do with her. The only thing I know for sure is that there'd be other nights, other stories, other close calls, other intrigues. But only one, Ace Crawford. Thank <laughs> you.